0: You are listening to the Brave Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. If you want to partner with us, or if you're interested in more information, head over to brave.church to find out more. Now, let's jump into this week's talk. Hey, Brave Church family and friends from all over the world. I'm Darren Laws and I'm one of our lead pastors. I'm so sad that I can't see your face right now, but I'm so honored and blessed to hopefully be a voice of of hope and encouragement to you. You know, times, these are unprecedented times. In the words of Bob Dylan, these times, they're changing. But you know what? Yes, our world is changing, but some good things are going to come out of all of this. Our world changed when the Spanish flu hit. Our world changed in World War II. Our world changed in 9-11. But you know what? God's Word says, I'm going to work through all things for good. And so here we are. Today is Palm Sunday, and we're reminded that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Today, today, and forever, and that truth means that though things will change, there are some really good days that are also ahead of us. You know, today we're going to look at a passage in Matthew 21. So you can go ahead and uh, search, do a search for Matthew 21, or turn in your Bibles to Matthew 21. But we're going to come to the Palm Sunday story. And uh, as you're doing that, I just want to say something. I got to tell you, it feels so good to like be dressed up for this, you know, because. Normally at, you know, at 9 p.m., I change out of my daytime pajamas into my nighttime pajamas, So and that's just so weird. I mean, things have gotten weird. In fact, tell the people next to you, things have gotten weird, because they really have. I mean, uh, week one, you know, the sheltering in place, at first I felt like, man, this is a staycation, this is great, I can sleep in, I've got all this extra time. Week two came around, and it was like, I got a little restless, and I thought, you know what, I got to get that project done that I've always wanted to get done week three week three I mean it was like I I feel like I was on house arrest I mean I was dreaming like in my dreams I'm making a run for it but there's no place to run you know and then and then I'm dreaming about you know uh, I'm getting cold sweats like you know when's this thing gonna end and then I remember God is good and I have chunky monkey ice cream and I've got Netflix and it's really gonna be okay so here's the deal We have plenty of bad news out there, but the church isn't a place for bad news. That's not what we're delivering today. It's a place for good news. And I believe that we need to tune in to what the Holy Spirit and what God wants to say to us now more than ever. You know, I love how during moments of crisis, when you read the scriptures, they become more fresh. They become more alive to our moment. So let's get into it. Today we're looking at a story about people who were searching for answers. They hoped for a leader who could solve their problems. They were greatly oppressed. Many of them were overtaxed. Many of them were slaves. In fact, just to have context, in 1860, in the United States, 12% of our population were slaves. In Jesus' day, under the Roman Empire, 30 to 40% of all the people were not free, mainly because they economically could not provide for themselves. These were dire times. There they were people who were looking for hope. They were looking for a person that could give them answers, as many of us are right now. And they were wondering, what is God doing? Have you maybe asked yourself that question in these last few weeks? I wonder what God is doing amid all the pain and all the chaos. What is God doing? And fortunately for us, we don't have to wonder about this. And so I want to encourage you to lean in and to listen to what God may want to say to your heart today. As we celebrate today on Palm Sunday, we're leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This context is it's the beginning of the great Passover festival. All the Jews have come back to Jerusalem from all over the world. They're gathered for a week-long celebration in Jerusalem. And they're remembering a time in their history when God had delivered them from hundreds of years of slavery out of Egypt. Before we start reading, uh, let me give you some critical context. There are three noteworthy things that happen right before this chapter that help us understand the significance of Palm Sunday. First of all, on three different occasions, Jesus predicts his death to his disciples. They had no idea what he was talking about. They didn't know how to process that information. There was also a mother, the mother of James and John, the son, uh, they were called the sons of Zebedee, She comes to Jesus and asks if her two sons can sit on his right and left in a position of power. Thirdly, Jesus is walking along the road, and two blind men shout out, and they shout out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, in that moment, Jesus stops, and he heals them. Why is this such a big deal? No one is seeing what God is doing. Not Jesus' followers. Not even the people that are closest to God, they aren't getting it. But when two blind men are recognizing the presence of God, when they have spiritual vision to see, they're able to see what no one else is seeing in their time and in their situation. But they're the very first people to shout out Jesus' true identity. Think about that. The first time in Jesus' earthly ministry that they shout out his messianic title, Son of David. And they shouted out publicly. Now this phrase, the son of David, was reserved only for the Messiah, the deliverer, the king of kings. And so when these two blind men began to call out son of David, everyone in Israel knew what that phrase meant. This is the Messiah. This is our king. This is the one that's been predicted for many centuries to come. And in their minds, they thought they knew what God was doing. But you know what? Jesus stops and he looks at the two blind men and he basically says for the very first time, yes, that's me. I'm the son of David. I'm the king. And everybody gasps. The apostles, they had wanted this for so long, they wanted it from the very beginning that Jesus would openly declare himself as king and overthrow the Roman government. They, they knew about Jesus' power. They had saw what he could do firsthand. And they wanted him to come out publicly and proclaim this because it would force conflict. Once Jesus went public... It meant that they were going to have a showdown between him and Rome. He would either lead a revolution that would overthrow Rome or he, and, and become the new emperor, or he would be killed. So now the disciples are both thrilled and they're terrified. Because Jesus is walking towards a do or die situation. And so we pick up beginning at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphuji, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Verse 3. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs him, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See... Your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The prophet Zechariah prophesies this detail in this very moment, 900 years before it takes place. He says, see, your king comes to you. Now, prophets do three things. They see and they hear and they speak from God's perspective. The two blind men, who had no physical eyesight, they were able to see that Jesus is the Son of God, the King. They were able to see what God is doing. The title of today's talk is, What is God doing? What is God doing? Number one, He's working in the details. Continuing on, it says, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and once you find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. What we need to see here is Jesus is very much in charge. He's acting specifically with intention. Jesus is like a conductor of a highly skilled orchestra. And he's orchestrating his own triumphal entry. He's arranging the entire event. He has a very specific plan in mind. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm growing up, you know, picturing Palm Sunday, I kind of picture Jesus just happens to be strolling along into Jerusalem and and then everybody spontaneously comes out singing with palm branches and they're waving. It's kind of like that scene in the movie La La Land where all the cars are in traffic, you know, and the crowds start getting out of their cars and then all of a sudden they start spontaneously breaking out and singing and dancing on the 405. You know, this was that moment. You know, Jesus just happens to kind of come into town and then everybody says, hey, grab a palm branch and suddenly a Hosanna flash mob breaks out, right? And Jesus just looks around and goes, ah, shucks. (laughs) You caught me. I'm the king. And it's this grand moment. No, this whole thing is arranged by God. God is in control. Jesus has a detailed plan. He tells them, "Go to this village, which is only a short walk from Jerusalem." He says, "You're going to find a donkey and a colt tied right by her. Untie them, bring them to me." And if anyone asks, tell them, the Lord needs them." Now this entire little village knew the disciples. They knew who the Lord was. Researchers tell us that there was about a hundred people that lived in this village, just 36 houses. It was very tiny. And Jesus had just raised a very popular man named Lazarus from a grave in Bethany, just a half a mile away. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time in these two villages, staying in the home of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And John 11, verse 45 says that after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it says very specifically, they believed in him. So they believed. He was the son of David. They believed in the Lord, that he was the king, that he was the Messiah. So when the disciples came looking for a donkey and colt, and they said the Lord needs him, well, they knew exactly who they were referring to. And in fact, in that moment, it's kind of like, hey, here, take my donkey. I mean, Jesus had spent a lot of time there. He knew where the animals were. He knew who owned the animals. He knew where they would be tied. This was this probably like no other village in Palestine of that day. That village of people really understood the power that Jesus had. They saw firsthand. Imagine seeing Lazarus raised from the dead. So what appears to be these random Uh, mystical details, actually Jesus has been intentionally working through all of them from the very beginning. Jesus fully expects that when his disciples walk into that little village and grab a donkey and a colt on Main Street, that people are going to ask, hey, what's going on? And Jesus says specifically, make sure you tell them the Lord needs them. Make sure you let them know that I'm going to be riding on this donkey. Why? Why? He was announcing to the entire village, I'm going into Jerusalem as the king. According to the Dictionary of Biblical Emergy, the riding on a donkey was a sign of royalty. Donkeys were used throughout the Bible. And so Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, was intentional. He had prearranged to make his public announcement. It's kind of like, you know, I know I'm going to do something. So I posted on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. It was so clear to all of them in that little village what he meant at that moment. And so the people began to run from the village. They're so excited. They know what's about to happen. And so they run ahead of him and they're spreading out their cloaks and their palm branches in front of him and behind him. And they're shouting to everybody. In fact... In verse 10, it was told, it was said that that when Jesus, by the time he entered into Jerusalem, the whole city stirred up. But the crowd is not just from Jerusalem. The crowd first started outside of Jerusalem and arrived as soon as Jesus arrives on the donkey because it all started in that little village. You see, Jesus Christ is orchestrating this. He's arranging this. In a sense, he sent for the crowd when he sent for the donkey. He's working through all the details. And I wonder if God is working through the details in their lives, in that crisis, in that situation, in that economic depression and slavery and torment. I wonder if God isn't working in our time. I wonder what, if if God knew that you'd be stuck at home 24-7 with your kids, right? You know, pulling your hair out, wondering, how can this be? What can we do, right? But I wonder if it isn't the best thing for families right now. I wonder if God is working through the details in your life. And I wonder if God is working through even the role transitions that are happening right now at your job, maybe even the restructuring of your business, maybe even being laid off. How many of you have ever been laid off from work before and God did something better in your life? You saw God come through in earlier years of your life. You know, God's going to do that again. What if God is guiding through every detail of your life And in Jerusalem, Jesus is now forcing the issue. He's making sure as he comes into Jerusalem that that everyone is declaring loudly, the son of David, the ultimate king is arriving. And when we look at at the work of Jesus right now in our own lives, think about this. The only way that we know that it's God at work is the details point to him as king in our lives. In other words, Does God decide where you work? Who employs you? Or do you? Is it that you provide for yourself? Or is it that God provides for you? That your provision that comes in monthly and weekly and daily, those needs, is God at work in those details? Does God decide who should be connected to who when it's really hard to even connect to people right now? Who is he keeping in your life close to you right now? Who's reaching out to you? Is it random or is it God? Did you know that just like when Jesus walked into this village and rode into the city of Jerusalem, that Jesus knows where you live? How many of you right now have had the thought, man, I wish I lived in Wyoming or way out in the wilderness somewhere? No, you know what? You're living where you're supposed to live right now. He knows your neighbors. He knows your neighborhood. And he planned that too. Acts 17 says... From this one man, Adam, he made every nation, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God establishes the places where we should live. God has us living in this time in world history, facing this crisis, and we can meet this moment. What is God doing? Number one, he's working in the details. And number two, he's writing a great story. The scriptures say that that God sees even the sparrow, one sparrow, tiny sparrow, when it falls to the ground. In all of the world, God sees that one sparrow. The Bible says that God knows the number of hairs on your head, that God is intimately involved in the details of your life. Psalms 31 says that my times are in your hands. Yes, these are unprecedented times, but even in these times, we are in God's hands. You may have lost your job, and if you have, I am so sorry. Or you may be afraid that you're going to lose your job, but you know what? God knows where you live. God, he cares about you. He cares about the details of your life. He's not going to leave you. Let's continue. Verse 6. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. On this day, this drama was unfolding moment by moment. I mean, it's just like today in our news right now. The the, the storyline that everyone wanted was not actually what they needed most. You see, they wanted a very different story than the one God was writing. They wanted Jesus to lead a revolt against Rome and overtake the government. While Jesus, on the other hand, he was weeping over the lost souls of Jerusalem. What he cared most about was the spiritual condition of the people. And so they thought what they really needed was, you know, more toilet paper and more hand sanitizer. They thought the goal was to not get sick from a virus. Where Jesus thought, you know what? We've already been infected by a virus. We've been infected by sin. And so the greatest story for your life isn't, you know, being healthy while it lasts. It's victory beyond this life that you've received forgiveness and a a future better than you can possibly imagine right now. One day, the coronavirus will have a vaccine. There will be medicine that solves this. But there's a bigger story that's unfolding right now in our world, right now in the lives of every human soul. When the the stress and the pressure and the heat of it all comes full force against you, are we who we think we are? When when, when push comes to shove, do we live out our values right now? Will we be a coward or will we be brave? You know, right now, God is writing a greater story than, than we see online or even in the news. He's giving us a chance to live out our faith under pressure to show the world what we stand for. What's God doing? Number one, he's working in the details. Number two, he's writing a great story. And number three, he's giving us an incredible opportunity. You know, every crisis presents new opportunities to be like Christ. A poem that I learned a long time ago that I've found to be true is that God is too good to be unkind, He's too wise to make a mistake. When I cannot trace His hand, I can trust His heart. I don't always know what God is doing but I can trust him. And right now, God is giving us an incredible opportunity and we need to be looking for those opportunities around us. Think about it. It's like God, it's like God gave the entire world a time out. I mean, stay at home with your family. Shelter in place. So take time. Take time to reevaluate your own priorities. Take time as adult children to to heal your relationship with your your elderly parents. Take time, uh, teenagers and young adults, to have those, those talks with your parents, to talk things through. Marriages, couples, take time to talk things out and to heal your marriage. You know, in our own neighborhood, on, on the sunny days, spontaneously, our neighbors have been coming out and setting up lawn chairs a, a, a great distance away from one another, and, and, uh, but, but talking to one another. You know, something special is coming out of all of this. Th- this is our moment. Let's seize it, and let's be hopeful. You know, maybe for you, seizing this moment means embracing the slowdown of your life intentionally, Enjoying your kids, enjoying, you know, instead of rushing to the computer or the phone or starting to work, being in that moment, maybe seizing your moment is giving instead of hoarding, doing the exact opposite of what's, of the message of fear that's going out there. Some of us are feeling the temptation to take control and to be conservative, and we're actually rationalizing our greed. The only cure for greed is to give. And the only solution is to slow down and appreciate the gift of time that you've been given. Seizing your moment, spending time with God, the kind of time that you thought you could never have with God. Right now, God has given you a gift. He's more than enough. What's God doing? He's working in the details. He's writing a great story. He's giving us an incredible opportunity. And lastly, number four, he's bearing our burdens. Jesus is about to go to the cross to take the weight of the world on his shoulders. You may feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders right now. You may be watching way too much news and you're feeling the heaviness of what could happen. What if this? What if that? What if this? you know, raise your hand if you've ever freaked yourself out by going online and looking up all your symptoms. Have you ever done that? And you thought, oh my gosh, I've got a disease or I'm going to die. What have you just done in that moment? Is you fed yourself fear. Listen, fear is a liar. Fear is a thief that steals your peace and your joy. It distorts the truth and it just makes us crazy. And fear, could completely rob you of the peace and joy that you could have right now of seeing God in the details of your life, of you and your family being part of a bigger story of incredible opportunities. We are Brave Church, and it's brave to follow Jesus. This is our time. We were born in this season for a purpose. But we can't be brave and follow Jesus if we're trying to do all of this in our own strength and take matters into our own hands. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. What's God doing? He's bearing our burdens, and if we'll let Him, He'll take those burdens from us. I want to do something right now. Right where you're at. Would you just, if, if people are moving around or talking, just, just in this moment, just, just be still. Just for a few moments. And if you wouldn't mind, just to close your eyes. And I'm just going to read scripture. I'm going to read God's word to you in this moment. God says, don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you. God says, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. What do you need? What's heavy on your heart right now? What's racing through your mind these days that isn't good for your soul? If you've not made peace with God, if you've not acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can do that right now. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to pray a prayer for those who would like to know Jesus right where you're sitting as your Lord and Savior. And I'm going to pray for all of you that are followers of Jesus that you would hear and see what God is doing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, we just want to acknowledge, if we've never done this, we want to acknowledge you as our Lord and Savior. We don't want to, we we, we want to be like the blind man, oddly enough. They were physically blind, but they were able to see spiritually. And in this moment, open our eyes to see. And we ask you to come into our lives and to become our Lord and our Savior. Forgive me of all of my sins, Lord Jesus. I trust you with my life. And Father, as as a follower of you, those of us that are following you, God, open our eyes to see the stories being written right now. There's opportunities all around us for good. Help us to partner with you in working through all things for good in our lives. Amen. If you decided to follow Jesus, go to brave.church forward slash follow Jesus where you can find resources about the decision that you made and, and and hopefully we can pray with you as well. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today for Brave at Home. We hope this gathering encouraged you, challenged you, and filled you with hope. Even if you aren't local, if this ministry is impacting you or your family's life, we appreciate your giving. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel for regular notifications and check out brave.church for the latest news. We've updated our whole site based on the season that we're in. And hey, we'll see you in brave groups and again next Sunday for Brave at Home.